It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Live from a shared universe podcast studio in Homedale, New Jersey, because the Eaton Town one, I don't think it exists anymore. I think they I think moved that, on. Uh, they gave up the ghost on that one. Yeah, Mike and Ming got one good look at what it could be like over here at Homedale at the Bell Labs, and it's over, guys. My name's KP Burke. The show's called American Loser. You know the deal by now. If you don't, I'm a New Jersey-based stand-up comedian, and we tell weird stories from American history, and who else can take you through this journey with me other than my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick, say hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's everybody's out there. And then this is, uh, we got a good one. We got a good one for tonight. Oh, yeah. So, well, it is a very good one. The guy that I, I've heard the name before, but really never really scratched uh, beyond the surface. So, and that's what we're all about here at American Loser, that scratching a little bit and finding out what's underneath. It's true. And he's a good one. And he's very much tied into a lot of um, many things throughout history specifically the zeitgeist or the spirit of the times from which he lives in. He's one of the most important people who ever lived during his time period. However, it kills me because there's a couple of really great pop culture references in here that we would normally get a Kahuna jaw drop moment from. <laughs> Kahuna is not here with us right now, but that's because the studio is growing. So he's got more people coming in and out. Mike and Ming, he's doing a great job. He's taking care of everybody. But he's got a couple of podcasts going all at once. So Kahuna is actually in demand right now. So if now more than ever, it's important that you guys join our Patreon so we can continue to buy him. We <laughs> need to outprice go. the other shows on That's this network, right. all right? We, uh, we're a proud thing. We're like The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Uh, Ming's never going to cancel us, but maybe the funding might dry up a little bit. <laughs> You're right. We don't want to get outbidded on the Kahuna's uh, love. Exactly. So for as low as $3 a month, you guys would get the bonus episode. We give you three episodes for free every month, every Tuesday. All right. We're going to have this one out for you Tuesday night. Sorry, but it is what it is. All right. It's the holidays, baby. And I'm KP Burke. I've been wearing the same clothes for two days. All right. <laughs> so I'm in New York City last night, Dad. All right. Yeah. In New York City. And uh, again, one last plug for the Patreon. As low as $3 a month for that bonus episode. We're going to have a good one for the end of the month here. Um, it winds up boiling down to less than a dollar an episode if you want to support the show. It's the only way I can keep doing this. I don't make enough money to buy the Kahuna's Love and to buy the studio time and some of the edits that he does for us. So anybody over on Patreon, extremely important that you guys continue to help us out. We are so grateful for you. And if you're on the fence about it, join up for a month and leave. I don't care. Throw me a couple of shekels, will you? I need something here. <laughs> the show's good. It's been going for three years. If it wasn't good, we would have found out by now. Virtually, if we could just put your hat down on the curb and people throw their loose change in it, I mean, we take it, we take it, whatever. Ladies and gentlemen of the M train, right, yeah. may I please teach you about American history? <laughs> uh, but I'm in New York City last night and uh, it was great. It was a great night. I got to hang out with a bunch of friends of mine, uh, a couple of former guests of the show, a couple of future guests of the show. And uh, we went to go see uh, a particular one man show. And uh, I'm kind of against one-man shows, unless it's this guy. And you <laughs> yeah. know who I'm about to talk about. So uh, a, a comedic uh, icon, if you will, a big impact in, in my life is uh, Colin Quinn. 
Um, again, everyone thinks that I've opened for him and that we're great friends. We're, we're okay. He pretends to remember me and I'm going to run with that. <laughs> you absolutely take that and run. But we did go see his new one man show last night and it's, it's really great. And he's got uh, a lot of stuff in there that's going to be absolutely monstrous when he's done with it because uh, he's one of the greatest stand-up comics of all time. And, and a history guy. Huge history guy. Yeah. And the dream is to eventually be able to talk about this show with him. And I just need the courage to do it because a couple of times it's almost come up where I was like, you know, um, you know about Tammany Hall, right, Colin? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm out in the street and uh, I, I get – um tackled if you will by bobby kelly last night and nice. uh, he was at the show with us and then he's sitting there just busting shot and he uh he literally is flipping me the middle finger on a live stream on his camera going he goes can you believe kp burke has better seats than me this is bullshit look at this genetic experiment gone wrong <laughs> so just a great night though but i'm in new york city new york has a lot of big personalities um in, off the top of your head, Dad, who do you think is like some of the most hated people in the history of New York? Because I'm going to say Pedro Martinez has to have he's, – he's up there. <laughs> yeah, right? he is. No disrespect to the Boston yeah. Red Sox, but Pedro definitely earned some hate during right. the Who's Your Daddy days right. in baseball. Yep, yep. I would say Pedro is a, a marked man for sure. If you're a Jets fan, you probably hate Tom Brady and Bill Belichick quite a bit, you know? There's a few Astro players that uh, are uh, not beloved in, in New York either. Uh, hang on, hang on. Altuve. What do they say about him, Dad? What's the word they used to say before Altuve? <laughs> uh, something starts with an F. What is that word again? Uh, <laughs> so, well, when you earn the title in some circles as the most hated man in New York, that usually means something pretty wild went down. All those stories we just talked about are pretty good stories. This guy's story might be the best. That's in the sports world, too. This Correct. Is, this is the real real life world, too. But it, it's such a, you said real life world, but there's so many facets that this guy comes at you with. And the people already know who we're talking about because they've clicked on the episode and it's going to be in the title here. And uh, let's just get it out in the open. Why is this guy an American loser? I'll let you guys decide. We have a very informed audience. We have a very smart audience. And they can, t typically you guys can tell when uh, and where we would decide somebody's a loser. But once you look at some pictures of this guy and you realize, <laughs> you realize that this is a relatively handsome guy who chose to have a fashion sense that told him that a neck beard was yeah. a great thing and that it was forward thinking to have one. Yeah, fa fashion forward. Uh, I think it's Explain fashion forward beard. because he's got a lot of he's got money. But uh, if you didn't have a whole lot of money and you had the same neck beard that old Horace has, uh, you'd just be some nut on the street. Well, Dad, just for the people at home who maybe have, don't have a chance to Google him just yet, um, when we say neck beard, we mean like he has a big, big beard, and then he also doesn't trim his neck, right? No, it means that the only facial hair that he allows to grow is the facial hair around his neck. I mean, when you look at photos, I, I didn't me realize he's got a clean shaven face. Hang on, yep. I saw a photo of him wearing a scarf once. Was that what you? No, actually, that was part of his neck beard. That scarf was made and of human hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a little scary. He's got a, he's got. A, it's not an angora um, collar that he's wearing. It's a. Oh, that's, that's his hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, when you see a poodle and they, they don't trim like the top part of the poodle's head and then they give a little like um, yep. almost like a, a, a neck thing to the poodle. That's what it looks like. It's a clean shaven face and then a neck beard. And that is today's loser, Mr. Horace Greeley. Now, if you know the name Horace Greeley and you grew up in the New York, New Jersey area, it could be because there's a high school in uh, Chappaqua named after him. 
Um, also, Horace Greeley sounds a lot like Hoggish Greedley. <laughs> there you go. There's a flashback. A villain from the Captain Planet uh, cartoon, <laughs> cartoon series, series, right? Which the more and more I see is wild propaganda that was <laughs> completely, I mean, whoa. There was a lot of things on that. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, I did an episode of uh, comics, uh, craft beer, and cartoons, whatever they call it. It's three C's, but it's my buddy Joe Weber's show and John Beecroft, who have both been guests on this show. And I chimed in with some thoughts on that one, and it got colorful pretty quickly. So, <laughs> But Hoggish Greedley is a villain, and he's named after, loosely named after Horace Greedley. So depending on who you're talking to, this guy's either a saint or a sinner. It's a little bit of both, and that's why we're here on American Loser. So how does, Dad, a mm. newspaper editor from New Hampshire, get half the country so mad at him and also becoming the most hated man in New York? Well, there was, some, there was some things uh, that were dividing uh, the political uh, spectrum, if you will, uh, at that point in time, too. So we'll, we'll get into that as we Hang on, go through wild the guess. <laughs> Is slavery one of those things? Yeah, well, <laughs> if you know when the, the time frame that old Horace was uh, living in, yeah, that's... Uh, you know, do, do, should people own other people? Well, well, we take the brave position on this show of being anti-slavery. Absolutely. I don't care. There's a lot of pro-slavery podcasts I'm an, I'm, I'm, I'm an abolitionist right from the get-go. But uh, We are an abolitionist podcast. And let, let it be known, okay, guys? There's some pro-slavery podcasts out there like Ken Krantz's I Love Rock and Roll. Very pro-slavery, okay? <laughs> but that's because he was born into it and he just thinks it should continue. You know, why should <laughs> – I'm kidding. He's, he took our studio today, so I'm mad at him. But <laughs> to give you the zeitgeist for old Horace Greeley, Horace, which by the way, um, Horace Greeley is a good name. It pops out there. You definitely remember a name like that. He's born February 3rd, 1811 on a farm in New Hampshire. Uh, his family, much like Aunt Sandy, by the way. There you go. New Hampshire. <laughs> Henniker, New, <laughs> Henniker, New Hampshire. Um but uh, his family is English and Scotch-Irish, okay? So you know they're no good. Um, <laughs> it's a bad mix. His family is not wealthy, and they move around often for new employment opportunities for his father, as well as to escape debts incurred that the family could not pay. Because, Dad, what used to happen back in the day if you couldn't pay your debts? You couldn't pay your debts. They throw you in prison, and uh, I don't know Wait how you're minute. supposed to not pay that. Not a phone call? <laughs> no. You just get a couple of phone calls nowadays, you're done. I thought. You're done. No, debtor's so, prison, just like Robert Morris, lose reception. You're doing the skedaddle on the landlord or whoever you owe money to, and uh, he moved around. It's true. It's um, Now, uh, Horace showed a high level of intelligence as a child, and uh, he would actually read everything he could get his hands on. In fact, he was considered very, um, very intelligent to the point where neighbors and friends of the family said, this kid's got a brain on his shoulders. Let's throw a little bit of money behind his education here. Let us sponsor his education. And what winds up happening, they say, oh, we refuse that. We're, we're too proud to take charity for our son's education. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in order to go to school, it wasn't uh, free education for everybody. So by the time he got to be around 14, he was pretty much done with school other than self-taught. And he would uh, he was a voracious uh, reader that uh, whatever whatever books he could lay hands on, whether it was from the neighbors or whatever, he was, he was reading it. So he was he was self-taught. Well, another interesting thing about him, self-taught. So he's a bit of a bookworm. That's straight. Yeah, that's another way of saying it. Now, what do we learn about this? Bookworm is the term we'd use back in the day. And then also we, we'd call a kid like a dweeb or something. But sometimes there's some developmental stuff going on here. I don't know if you were aware of this, but there are rumors that Horace might have been uh, someone who 
should have been diagnosed with Asperger's. Right. But I'm thinking uh, for the times, well, none of that was really uh, um, known about or oh, yeah. even, you know. To quote the great Kurt Metzger, this kid's not dodging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Horace will excel as a student, takes an interest in becoming a printer's apprentice. Dad, what the hell is that? Uh, basically, you're the you're the ink guy. Um, <laughs> you're, you're learning the printing trade. A tattoo artist. Okay. That, <laughs> no. Uh, you're learning the printing trade. And that was a lot of hard work. It wasn't like running these big machines where they're cranking these things out one right after another. They are covered in ink. It's these a, guys. a slow process, handset type. So each little individual character would have to be put together into a block to form the sentence. And of course, you're doing that in reverse. So it's not an easy thing to handset type. How fun would it be to have a – probably the same way that you would get a kick out of watching me try to mail a letter right now. <laughs> um, I would get a kick out of watching a millennial who's used to talk to text and all this other stuff um, have to actually sit there and type, you know, one, two, three. That the, you know, If you hit this button twice, it means the letter I to send a text message that way. Now, you're literally taking each specific letter forming it perfectly and then printing multiple pages of a, a paper and then multiple copies thereof. Right. So, I mean, and, I mean and this print is bad. The printer's trade too. I mean, it's, it's not just newspapers, it's books. Anything anything that's printed is is going to be that same process, very slow, methodical. Um, and there is a lot of competition. I mean, in New York City, uh, there's multiple, multiple, multiple um it's newspapers. becoming a hub. Like America's not a world power yet, but New York is definitely a hub of there's some cool shit going right. on here. It's the big it's yeah. the big apple. Oh, it's a very much so becoming that. Now, uh, while he's still living on the East Coast, bouncing back and forth here, uh, he does try to run away from home to become a printer's apprentice. He winds up eventually working in the trade. Uh, now, he does excel as a student, like we said, and is spending some time in this trade here. He's also found on the regular in the town library and is known to be a bit of a human encyclopedia. Almost picture like a young Sheldon. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a great uh, – He's a dweeb. Right. And he's starting his neck beard. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to grow a neck beard. I'm a, yeah. So Horse is the kind of guy that you would want to phone a friend on a life loan if you were on a, a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This right. is the kid you want to call. He goes, oh, of course. Everyone knows that. You know, right. He's that kind of a dude. Um, he will stick to his trade, though, and he will work for several papers along the East Coast. By 1831, keep in mind he's born in 1811, it is time to do what so many before him and so many after have tried. Can you make it in New York? If you make it there, you can make it anywhere. I've Hang on. Did you just make that up? Nah, that's a little jingle. I hang on. Where'd you take that from? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so he's a 20-year-old and he's... He sets off for the for the big city to try to make his way through life. It's uh, it's the truth. He arrives literally. There's a picture of him uh, that, that's done up, whether it be by an artist rendition in favor or in opposition of him as he becomes one of the most powerful men in the entire world. Right. Um, so you have to look back on it. There's a little bit of revisionist history with that where they say, oh, this is this the humble beginnings of a hero or is this the uh, um, him trying to portray himself as a, an aloof down and out guy that built himself up? But there is a picture of him, uh, an artist rendering, I should say, of Horace Greeley arriving in New York like an old hobo with a bandana on a stick routine. Right, right, right. The classic hobo thing. Got with me a couple of biscuits in here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we woke up this morning with the cold water. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, Horace will quickly find out that working in the printing business, but uh, again, even more quickly, he'll realize just how much faster things move in New York. Like you said, Dad, it is the Big Apple. Yeah, he's an upstate country bumpkin or from from New Hampshire, and now he's making his way to the big city of New York. I mean, that's a that's definitely a you know a big change. Well, it's almost like me where uh, <laughs> this is the part that I, I kind of felt some kinship to him. But, and by the way, th- this is why we, unless you're a true bastard, we've done a couple of bastards on this show that are just, um, to, to quote Dr. Cox from Scrubs, uh, bastard-coated bastards with bastard filling. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of them. Albert Fish being one of the more like more recent ones yeah, where right. like, there's no redeeming quality here. Uh, I try to find a kinship with some of these people. And this is where... Horace Greeley's initial successes in New York and failures almost intermittent with one another where it's like, hey, the greatest thing ever is happening to me. Oh, wow. It's bankrupt. Yeah. Um, he's got a rough right. couple. Of, that's how and it's a, it's a tough time frame, too. I mean, you've got a huge immigrant wave coming over that uh, New York City is just overpacked with with people in uh-huh. crowded conditions. And we're talking uh, uh, we're talking 1830s that. Uh, yeah, you know, now you, you're. I guess it was uh, one of the previous episode. Kahuna was talking about was there horse shit in the streets? <laughs> well, if you got horses as your primary means of transportation, yeah. uh, so I mean, people just the pitching, question would be: Was there streets in the horse shit? <laughs> right, right, right. Somewhere underneath that, and pitching uh, just pitching the chamber pot out the window. Uh, you know, that was your uh, your your bathroom facilities. But yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was overcrowded. Um, a lot of people were trying to make a buck. As I said, there was numerous newspapers. Some of them were only um, due to the difficulty in printing. Some were only what they call single sheets that you would take a single piece of paper and fold it in half. <laughs> and now you got a, a four-page newspaper and you're trying to sell ads on part of that. I mean, that's how newspapers are really going to make their money by selling ads. I think that's similar to how like um, common sense might have been done yep. back in the day. Yep. That Guggenheim fellow, he really fucked a lot of people over, didn't he? This <laughs> printing press. But uh, Guggenheim? <laughs> Guttenberg. Guttenberg? Guttenberg. Oh, hang on. I, I did a museum instead. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, trying to keep you honest. You are correct. It was Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy that created that. <laughs> okay. If you don't know at home. <laughs> um, now, it's very interesting, though. Things move fast. You fail quick. You succeed quick. Um, he will succeed in, in one of the early things here. It's going to be crippled, actually, in the Panic of 1837, which is a financial crisis, which leads Horace to taking the first step into what will become a lifelong interest in politics for him. Yep. So um, Horace is a fascinating guy already, clearly a, a bright guy. He's got some uh, tenacity to him, definitely uh, got his, his you know, he's deep in the business here, but he's going to support this thing called the Whig Party back in the day. Now, Dad, we've talked about this a little bit. What do you remember about the Whigs? Uh, look, the, again, the, the major political parties are not what we know today. And, you know, people often confuse that. Well, if this one's a Republican, that's either good or bad. Or if this one's a Democrat, that's good or bad. Well, that's what we have with modern day. But things were not quite the same, you know, 50 years, 100 years uh, 150 years ago that uh, <laughs> things got kind of mishmashed and turned around. But back in, in Horace's time, uh, back in this uh, period when he's in New York City, the Whigs were one of the primary uh, primary political parties. And the other one was the uh, Democratic Republicans. So 
or the Jacksonian Democrats. Now, that's an interesting thing right there because you said the correct thing. So the original groups that were coming through, you had the Federalists and then you had the- uh, uh, The Whigs. The, the Democratic Republicans. Right. Then the um, the Whigs are going to wind up coming in to take over for that Federalist thing. Um, it, it becomes Federalist, Anti-Federalist. There's always been two parties. It's very curious how this right. works. But you're right, Dad. These Whigs are going to be Anti-Federalists. They are in opposition to Jacksonian Democrats, which is a separation between Jefferson, okay, TJ, Tej, as we like to call him on the show, and uh, Andy Jackson's Democrats, which are like this popular group um, doing their own kind of a thing. So, uh, and that very much was a populist movement. Yeah, and oftentimes we would get a, a complete 180 on the political party simply because there was something else going on at the time that would be very divisive uh, politically. Uh, economically, socially, that uh, is a game changer. And I, that's exactly what, what happened a here. A cult during, of personality, perhaps. Yep. Some people are forces of nature. Jackson definitely being one of them. Thomas Jefferson definitely being one of them. Horace Greeley being one of them. Yep. Now, these Whigs, they believe in the free market, but they also believe that the government should fund to help expand and create the nation because their idea being the more money that you make, um, the more money you allow people to make personally, the more you can then tax them and then the greater of a country you can help develop. So you want to be a wealthy nation. You know what I mean? If you don't have a lower class, then um, the sky's the limit kind of a thing. So let's lift everybody up together. It's that uh, rising tide uh, raises all ships kind of a thing. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, but uh, anyway, it's a, a major figure in this Whig party in New York is actually going to be a guy by the name of William H. Seward. Dad, what does that name pop out at you for? Uh, William H. Seward. Yeah, well, um, Horace really gets involved with one of his newspapers. It gets, he starts writing for this, uh, actually, it was a political uh, newspaper called The Log Cabin. And, uh, you know, its circulation rose quite dramatically. I mean, at this particular time, to have a circulation of 90,000 doesn't sound like much, but that was really big time because a 90,000 circulation and there was probably three people reading that same newspaper. So it wasn't just one person, one one paper kind of a thing. So it was passed around. And he starts writing for the Whigs. Horace Greeley was politically uh, aligned with the Whig Party when and their tenants, if you will. And this guy, William H. Seward, he's another New Yorker. He's an upstate New Yorker. And there's another guy within that whole Whig Party, this Thurlow Weed, He's a maker and shaker and mover and groover of, uh, of, of politics. And Seward being the heavy hitter of, of uh, between the two of them, Seward is the more dominant. And he goes on to do some pretty, pretty substantial things, too. He's, um, he's uh, has aspirations of actually becoming president. Um, he doesn't. He fails to win his party's political uh, political nomination. Yeah, so Seward is is a heavy hitter within the Whig Party. Uh, he is more of an upstate New York guy, and where his his other big well, hang heavy on, upstate hitter, always gets along with the city, though, right? Yeah, well, in- there's, a, there's a little bit of a political <laughs> divide there, but uh, and that is nothing that's just recent development. But Seward uh, ends up being a governor of New York. He also ends up being uh, a senator for New York State, and he also ends up being secretary of state to the entire nation. So uh, 
he was very instrumental under the Lincoln administration during the American Civil War. But next, you're going to tell me something crazy, like he buys something. Yeah, well, then he he, uh, he is, uh, makes a, a deal with the Russians. So even back then, we're dealing with the Russians, but he makes a pretty good deal that uh, something that Congress was uh, um, poo-pooing that uh, this is Seward's folly, uh, that there's no way that we're going to be able to make anything out of this frozen wasteland. It but, was Russian collusion. Yeah, yeah. Well, we end up buying Alaska from the Russians. Um, never mind the Native Americans that actually were there long before any of this took place. But Did you hear the good news? We're American now. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what it means either. Yeah. But uh, Seward ends up buying Alaska from the Russians for about two cents an acre. So, I mean, I think I think we got a pretty good return on our investment out of out of the Alaskan resources. Side on that one. You've never been to Alaska, right? No, that's still on the still on the bucket list. You got to get up there, guy. Yeah. All right, it's awesome from what I've heard. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> when was the last time you were there? Well, because um, anyhow, yeah, the politics and, heavy here. Um, Horace Greeley is is making a name for himself with uh, his editing and. Uh, uh, political opinions that are being published within these various uh, newspapers. And he's put in charge of the log cabin, which is the Whig Party's uh, um, campaign speech, if you will. And he's, he's given campaign speeches. Uh, he's really helping out the whole party on, uh, on forwarding their, their whole thing. So he's a, he's a mover and deal, you know, mover and shaker himself. So, uh, well, He's got a little bit of a personal life developing around this time frame, too. And, and, and like, you know, people say now that, you know, you, you can't trust the media because it's slanted one side or the other. Well, if you're controlling the media, you're controlling people's uh, opinions, if you will. My take on it back in the day was that you could trust the media prior to William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> you probably could trust it. Maybe. You could find your paper that would give you the facts, the, the, not fake stories. You know, that was a, the magazine era is really where that comes into play. But uh, our boy Horace, he's getting into politics. He winds up actually marrying, uh, marrying around this uh, time frame a fellow boarder at a boarding house. It's a very specific boarding house too. Um, they, uh, it, It's a little odd because it, it holds its tenants to a strict way of eating. They're living this lifestyle of uh, no spices, no coffee, no alcohol, and no meat. So tell me when you've tapped out at home, all right? I think- <laughs> That's right. Put your hand up if you've had enough. Yeah, I know uh, I know. Tyler Prysuck is out right away. I know, um, I think Nick Franco's done. <laughs> we had a lot of people. Jeff Quinn's done. Everybody's done. Yeah, well, Horace has, has taken up residence in this boarding house that – um, is being run under the uh, guidelines, if you will, of this dietary reformer, this guy by the name of Sylvester Graham. And the first rule of Graham Club is that you don't talk about Graham Club. <laughs> well, uh, this guy, Sylvester Graham, a lot of people attribute him to be the father of vegetarianism. He also is the guy that's developed Graham flour, Graham bread, and Graham crackers. So anybody who's ever had a graham cracker pie crust or whatever you want to do with your graham crackers. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it's all it's all under Sylvester Graham, who Horace Greeley is now in this hang boarding on, on, house. That make, so graham crackers are vegetarian. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. And this guy, Graham, also heavy, vegan. heavily influenced Lose Reception time. 
Mr. John Harvey Kellogg. Ah. And the whole Battle Creek Sanatorium thing that we've talked about in You know past it's a episodes. good doctor when he is willing to perform his own circumcision. You know that's you it. have a good doctor. That's, that's, that's how that works. Snipping the tip on your own uh, <laughs> own accord. Uh you're you're serious. You're you're in it for the for the for the whole Monty. Jesus. Well, uh, he does wind up meeting a woman there, though, and he, uh, her name is Mary, and they do get hitched. Yep. She's going to become Horace Greeley's wife. Very much devoted to one another, by the way. It's This is not a, a Dan Sickle situation where uh, <laughs> he's, he's bringing around a couple of broads. Yeah. But uh, around this time, uh, though, New York City's population is facing a bit of a homeless crisis, which is wild, right, Dad? Yeah, absolutely. So, we never uh, had that before, crisis. right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the whole immigrant wave and everything else that uh, – um, that the, the streets are just packed with people. You got these tenements uh, that are just, you know, overloaded with people and humanity. And one of uh, one of Greeley's things is this whole land reform that uh, let's give these people some place to go. So where does he send them, Kev? Well, this is what it's kind of weird. This is where Greeley gets pretty cool. So uh, Greeley is definitely in the uh, the lexicon of American history. For multiple reasons. Around this time, like we said, the, the homeless population is out of control. Greeley will write editorials in his paper with attempts to give advice to the downtrodden. So he's he literally is a guy who's sitting there, hey, I'm fighting for the little guy. And by the way, little guy, here's what you should do. He's not just saying that to try to, you know, curry uh, favor and, you know, garner votes. He's actually got some advice for you. One particular piece of advice uh, for the people who are suffering the low-income areas of New York, his advice is, well, go west, young man. You can start – there's – there's no money out here. It's right. like it's almost like alien. No one can hear you scream in space. <laughs> the land of You're opportunity is out west. You're not poor where there is no money. Yeah. You understand? You have an opportunity there. So literally that quote, go west, young man, comes from Horace Grit. Now, it's not necessarily – they're not saying he coined it, but it's definitely attributed to him because he's got the most prolific writing and usage of it. Yeah, and he was uh, – he had a lot of followers that he took his – he was able to take his newspaper. Do we get into that yet, just yet as to what newspaper he then started? It does wind up coming up because in 1838, he will become uh, the editor. He gets hired as the editor of the Jeffersonian, which is a Whig paper. Right. And that's going to be the vehicle that gets him firmly entrenched in politics specifically for the Whig party, helps him get William Seward. Yeah, that one from before elected as the governor as a Whig. So these Whig, this Whig party – they're actually holding political offices, major political offices, and a huge part of the machine is going to be Greeley here. But he's also writing in these early um, endeavors. This is pre-New York Tribune, which will okay. become his paper. Uh, he does wind up writing this uh, little piece of advice saying, go west, young man. Give it a shot out there. You can do it. All right? And the government should help you do it, by the way. And that's yeah, a, and, 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 a very interesting thing. He, he really is a true moderate. He goes, uh, listen, the homeless, you got to help yourselves. The government should help you help yourselves. You know what I mean? The government should subsidize your ability to help yourself because then you can make a lot of money, right? You make a lot of money and then we can tax you so we can pay for some cool shit. A hand up, not a hand out. Oh, uh, 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 Lawrence go. Patrick. <laughs> the kingfish. There we go. Um, yeah, but he, right now, most of the papers that he's writing for are, are political papers. And it comes later on where... He's, but he's 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 talking to the to the little guy. He's he's talking to the to the blue collar worker, if you will, that uh, is out there. And a lot of these uh, immigrants who had nothing back on the other side, 
and now are, are you know, he's professing that we should give these people an opportunity and the property you know, we got the whole Louisiana purchase we got all this property out there with nobody out there that maybe we should just be able to develop our country by giving these people the opportunity to help us develop it. So we owe Napoleon and Russia for a big chunk of it. That's kind of wild to think yeah. about. That's <laughs> well, we don't have Alaska just yet, but uh, we're working on it. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, uh, I, I just like that idea that it is the uh, the enemy of our enemies is who we're going to buy shit from. All right. Um, but having seen uh, his success helping with the uh, successful gubernatorial election, uh, Greeley is now employed and encouraged to help get William Henry Harrison into the White House. Yep. He will write articles, give speeches. He actually creates songs. He's writing fucking jingles, this guy. That's right. Political right? jingles. He's uh, Yeah. What, what rhymes with Harrison? Well, I can think of a couple of things. So uh, maybe uh, I'm, I don't think he coined this term, but I do believe that it was the William Henry Harrison campaign that said Tippecanoe and Taylor too. Tyler too. Tyler too. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Sorry about that. So, because the hero of Tippecanoe was William Henry Harrison. Right. So, more on him, by the way, a young William Henry Harrison. War of 1812, Patreon, two parter. It's pretty epic. <laughs> um, but again, he's writing articles, speeches, songs, and these songs will whip the crowd up into a frenzy, so much so that William Henry Harrison, who at the time was the oldest man to be elected president, uh, I mean, he was well past. Uh, they should have ran. I don't want to draw. We're not a political show. There's a lot of people that think in 2016 that Joe Biden probably should have ran, that that would have been his his moment, if you will. But he chose not to run due to personal issues. Um, and then now, whether or not you like him or you don't like him, there there's a little bit of, hey, I don't know if this guy's got a second term in him. If you wanted, if you even want him to have one, I don't know if he's got the second term in him. Right. So maybe this should have happened a couple of years ago. That was what the deal was with William Henry Harrison. However, it's such a compelling speech and songs and campaign uh, being echoed in the papers written by Horace Greeley that he's able to very easily uh, become the president of the United States. Little footnote, of course, though it doesn't last long, does it, Dad? No, What's no, a sorry, all the uh, all Willie Henry. Uh didn't have a, a long track record. Yeah, you've heard of P90X. The P stands for presidency. 90X, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About 90 days he lasts. Um, and it really just does not last long. William Henry Harrison will die in office, holds the record for the least amount of time served as president. Uh, also the longest inauguration speech in history. That's right, guys. That's right. Whether it's the, uh, the over-the-top... Uh, uh, oratory of maybe some of the more narcissistic presidents, you know, throughout our modern history. Nope. William Henry Harrison. He holds the record. It's him, baby. Horace is making quite a name for himself, though, and he decides, as we recover him, Dad, the next step is to start his own paper. Start his own paper. He's not going to be just an, an editor or, or something else. He's going to start his own paper and put out his own political and he points. wants pictures of Spider-Man, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he founds a paper which will be known as the New York Tribune in hopes to rival a very popular paper. Did you figure out – did you come up on that one? The, the, new, the rival paper? Yes, sir. Yeah, the New York Herald. The Herald was doing big, big numbers. Right. So he's going to start his own thing and try to rival that. Yeah, but what one of the things that Horace did that was uh, a stroke of brilliance was um, everybody was trying to put out a daily – and then what he did is he put out a daily, but he also put out a weekly. And it was the weekly that really got him some heavy-duty traction. And that weekly was distributed <laughs> far beyond just New York State, New York City and New York State, that that was then taken out to the 
to the Western, the Western states. And uh, he was really making a name for himself at this particular point. They said, I, I read somewhere that uh, the two most popular things on the, on the frontier or as far as reading material was uh, the Bible and then Horace Greeley's weekly uh, New York Tribune. Just under that, just under that <coughs> guns and ammo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And the Sears Roebuck catalog. <laughs> no, that didn't come out yet. Slightly under that Victoria's Secret. Um, so Greeley's, uh, he's a very smart guy here. Uh, by backing Whig candidates in politics, he's going to accrue a following over here. So the paper's not initially a success, though. Uh, he winds up picking that up slowly because then people say, like, oh, well, if, if you're a Whig, if you're you know not one of those crazy Jacksonian Democrats, well, then this would be the paper you would read. Now, that's cool in New York, I guess, right? You want to give people an, alter uh, an alternative. But like you said, Dad, you're now going to expand to a national audience, yeah. which is going to be huge here. Another stroke of genius by our boy Horace Greeley. He invents a little concept. He goes, you know, we're in New York. We're in the hub of culture. The hub of politics is D.C., so maybe what if I have a guy that works for me that he just stays down there all the time and tells me what's going on? Like a correspondent or something. Oh, a Washington correspondent Ooh. for a paper? Yeah. Invented by Horace Greeley. Yeah. Okay. He's there the first guy yeah. to do it. Right. First guy to have somebody specifically report on the political news of Washington, D.C. And who does he hire? Dan Sickle. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I say, wait a minute. I don't think I remember that. No, it's, uh, um, again, if you don't know the Dan Sickles references we keep making, guys, go listen to that episode. It's probably the best thing we ever did. <laughs> but uh, the paper's not initially a success, although you want to talk about successful people? You want to talk about, I mean, Dad, this is like the 1800s. How can this possibly be relevant nowadays? Well, um, Greeley's chief assistant during these times is a guy by the name of Henry J. Raymond. And if that name sounds familiar to you folks at home, and I know it does. I know Mike Sutton's ears just perked up. I know Stu Greenberg's ears just perked up. All right. We've got a couple of people that know exactly where we're going here. Henry J. Raymond uh, will go on about 10 years after his efforts at the New York Tribune with Horace Greeley, starts his own paper. He goes, I mean, yeah, how hard could he, it be? He jumps ship and starts his own. The New York Times. <laughs> All the news that's fit. Oh, my different. God. That's the truth. He creates the New York Times. Yep. Um, Greeley, again, like we said, though, his genius moves here are wild. He's got a very successful paper now. And again, it wasn't looking good. It was almost looking like that initial success he had prior to the Panic of 1836 was um, it was starting to look like that again, where he goes, is, is something actually going to click for me now here? But Horace is finding himself in a situation that many Americans find themselves in politically uh, I think you and I both find ourselves in this situation quite often. Well, hang on. I thought I was a part of that party. Now they're, why is that? I'm not leaving my party. The party's leaving me. I didn't change. You changed. Yeah, right. You guys, you guys made a little difference. Change of course. Change of course. Yeah. And uh, just for the record here, my father and I, big supporters of the Taliban, and we will not move on that. That's okay. It. That's it. Uh, Sylvester Stallone went over there to help you guys, and uh, we're on your side. Okay. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. <laughs> just depend. 30 years is about the difference. That was a good quote I heard about conspiracy theories. What's the difference between a conspiracy theory and, uh, and history? Uh, about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, Horace is starting to find himself in a situation, though. It's pretty rough, man. The major issue at the time is slavery. And Horace Greeley is. But what do you think? I, this, I, I wish Kahuna was here because I was going to ask him. 
we could show him a picture of Horace Greeley. He'd be like, this looks like the bad guy in every movie. Right. He looks like the dean of every college that's trying right. to ruin the fraternity's party. Um, Horace Greeley is absolutely an abolitionist, completely opposed to slavery. Yeah. And again, an abolitionist are those who are opposed to slavery and doing whatever they can to abolish slavery. Yep. Now you got the intense people who are uh, uh, doing, you know, the, the fighting, bleeding Kansas type stuff that's going to be coming up in uh, American history. Yeah, this is already this is already drawn blood. I mean, this wasn't just some political debate that uh, people are poo pooing. I mean, lives are being being lost it, over this. Yeah, this it is issue. the original sin in American history is uh, the issue of slavery. And, and it's what limits um, our ability to, to truly embrace our greatness. Um, and then the strides we've made are also huge things that make this country the wonderful place that it is. Um, but you had to fight this thing on different levels. Greeley is very much opposed to slavery, quite vocal in his opposition, in fact. He writes about it on the regular, openly opposes the annexation of Texas. I have never been to Texas. I will be in January, though, with my cannon at the creek in the cave, January <laughs> – I'm actually wow, going to be out that there. That was smooth the way you slipped that I'm one. I'm pretty good yeah. about that one. Yeah, check out the dates. Creek in the Cave, me and Mike Cannon. You can't miss that show. I think we're actually going to be there the one year anniversary of the uh, the, the riot at the Capitol buildings. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be wild. But I have a fondness for Texas and the way they do things in a lot of aspects. The barbecue, uh, a lot of good stuff over there. Um, them coming in as a slave state, though, I'm going to draw the line. We're going to say what we always say on this show. People don't own people. So um, a big thing about Texas coming into joining the United States is that that was going to throw off the power of the um, abolitionist states versus the slave right. states. And Greeley's writing about this on the radio. He goes, I'm sure you're great, Texas. I'm sure you're wonderful, but we can't have this shit. You right. know what I mean? You're coming. Don't show up and fuck up our house right. party. You're, you're tipping the balance within uh, within the Senate. Yeah, we were um, having a pretty good time without you. Don't show up and ruin the party. Bring something to the table instead of taking something off. Um, but very, very troubling to Greeley here. He uh, will oppose slavery, a uh, deep, deep supporter of transcendentalism, Dad. You know anything about that? Uh, transcendentalism, yeah. That was uh, – he was – old Horace was uh, in a lot of different things with uh, – the transcendental was another movement, if you will, or, or idea or cause that uh, Greeley was very much in, involved with. Um he was also very much involved with the whole idea of uh, utopian community. And Transcendental was... Sounds like know, a bunch of commie gobbledygook to uh, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Flower children, uh, you know, flowers in your hair and you're going to go uh, um, off, into, uh, off into the forest and live happily ever after. But uh, he, you know, he had a lot of different ideas and... Um, Put f and was willing to support them uh, in many different ways, uh, including vegetarianism, which we already spoke of. He was a pacifist or pacifism, spiritualism, communal social arrangements. So that's where we were going in uh, with uh, these communal um, utopian societies. Uh, he was a firm believer of the evils of alcohol, high tariffs, protectionism, and uh, radical health regimes. I mean, so, but um, we did, I did come up with a, a Jersey connection here with old Sorry, Pat out, and I hope you're hearing this at home, sir. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there was a, a guy back in this particular uh, time period, he's a Frenchman, uh, Fourier. Who um, Foyer. put for uh, Fourier? All right, my bad. 
Um, I'm just guessing. I might be smart. I might well, be not. you tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm anglicizing this whole thing, but it's F-O-U-R-I-E-R. So, however that is pronounced in the French. Oh, okay. um, but this guy was a, a Frenchman who put forth this whole idea of a utopian society that was a communal type thing and everybody was working for everybody else and you did what you were best at for the good of the community. And actually, uh, one of the bigger um, communities that were set up here in the United States under the guidance of the auspices of, of this guy, this Frenchman, was right here in uh, our own Red Bank, New Jersey. No shit. Red yeah. Bank, too, on top of that? <laughs> yeah. On top yeah. of everything else, Red well, Bank. Well, some people tell me Red Bank. Other people are telling me it's uh, Colts Neck Township. Now, I don't know whether the boundaries were different back then, but uh, definitely Monmouth County, New Jersey. Yeah, so. I know a guy who lives near there. Yeah, I know. That's what, that's my utopian society. <laughs> Your mother and I. <laughs> well, this, this transcendentalism thing, it's pretty cool here. These are the ideas of this philosophy. They're going to be made famous by certain names that most people have probably heard of. Uh, yeah, oh, like, yeah. yeah. There were some heavy hitters within oh, transcendentalism. I didn't, of them. You know, I didn't jump into that, but I'll let you, uh, being you're the literary guy, uh, it's probably better that you throw that out. Well, uh, you got uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. I heard of him. Uh, yeah, Henry David Thoreau. I played for the Dodgers, right? <laughs> that was pretty good, by the way. I'm proud of you on that one. Uh, both of these two writers who are going to become, uh, I mean, uh, a huge part of, again, we'll say the American lexicon, um, a deep, deep literary history here in this country. However, uh, both of these guys uh, are also going to be published regularly by, you guessed it, Horace Greeley and his New York Tribune. So he's trying to, he's bringing you everything. And by the way, this is another great thing about Greeley. If you want to find something to admire the guy about, he stayed the hell away from, we're not going to write about scandals. We're not going to write about gossip. We're going to write the news. We're also going to give you guys some cool, hey, this is what a brilliant person uh, writing about the times is, is, you know, coming up with right now. These are the men of our era. Let's, you know, hear what their thoughts are kind of a thing. So he's writing a smart person paper for smart people, you know, kind of like doing a podcast for dumb people. Yeah, but he's not only just writing about it in the paper. He's also publishing some of their stuff. Half the battle. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're finding an outlet through through uh, old Horace Greeley there. But I mean, Horace Greeley, he's a wackadoodle. I mean, he's first, he's an ab abolitionist. He's a vegetarianism, vegetarian. He's for workers' rights. He's Did you for see that rights. fucking thing on his neck too, by the way? <laughs> he's women's rights. I mean, come on, really? Come on, guy. He met his wife in a boarding house. Neither of them eat meat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, this next line, Dad's going to get us in a little bit of trouble. You think? So uh, be prepared for the government to shut this down. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is coming. He's going to let us know that uh, there was no election fraud. There's never been any election fraud, except that in 1848. <laughs> yeah, right. Something new, election fraud. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I, it always kills me, too, because the first episode of this show we ever did talked about election fraud. Yeah. And when I just tried to post that, I was like, hey, this is kind of history repeating itself. Facebook flagged the post. And I was like... This is apolitical, man. Uh, I'm talking about a Democrat that got screwed out of De Grover Cleveland that got screwed out of the election by you know, voter fraud here. And by the way, I don't even know what this guy's party was, but the seated congressman for New York, one of the seated congressmen, uh, they were able to prove in 1848 that election fraud not only happened, but was proven. Okay. Um, it unseats the congressman from New York and the Whigs had an idea. Dude, this Horace guy. He's yeah. got the paper, right? He can write about anybody. What if we just run him and then he just writes about himself? Okay, let's go ahead and do this, man. 
So Horace runs the paper, helps us win elections, seems quite popular. Let's get him to run. And by promising uh, a couple of some of our listeners, Colin Moran, will appreciate this one especially. By promising the Irish population, this big immigrant wave you were talking about earlier, Dad, a lot of whom are showing up homeless, living in tenement squares, working the low blue collar jobs, uh, very much attracted to the idea of Tammany, um, are going to be supporting Horace Greeley, this Whig, because Horace Greeley is going to say, let me say this about the Irish. I think you guys should have your own country. I think you should separate from England. And the Irish was like, oh, all right, we know this guy's all right then. Okay, sure. cool. What uh, Should we find out what else he believes in? Oh, no, that's it. That's We're good. It. That's it. <laughs> I like to picture a drunk uh, Irish guy at the bar, you know, a la Gangs of New York. It's, uh, what's your position? Fuck England. All right, well, we have- <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome to the party. Sign the charter. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But Horace is an interesting guy here. The boy from the farmhouse in New Hampshire that reads too much is now a congressman. And Greeley will show up and immediately tries to put forth a homestead act, which would allow the land out west to be purchased by lower income folks. I have no idea what that is, by the way. It's a terrible sound in the background. Someone's dead. I don't know. Oh, that's another show starting here. So, all right, let's add another... Guys, please. The Patreon would allow us to have our own studio again. That's right? Right. As low as $3 a month, as much as $5 a month. If you want to support us and get the extra stuff. A little yeah. insulation on the walls. Yeah. Throwing a little bit more there. We don't have to hear a cat <laughs> being executed next door. But sorry about that part. Um, but Greeley will show up immediately, does this Homestead Act. And his whole thing is he's trying to champion the cause. If you want to talk about having consistency, Greeley is saying, I want people to be able to go west and start over. Okay. I want them to be able to start a new life out there and we can build something new. And I think we should be able to do that. And that's why if a person is going to buy land, I want them to get a better price than a land speculator. And if you're a speculator and you want to buy it, you're allowed to buy that land too. You're absolutely entitled to that land. It's going to cost you four times as much though. Right. Okay. So for a dollar, a dollar an acre. What he was trying to do is to sell federal land to the individuals directly rather than selling it to the land speculators. And then the land speculator selling it to the little guy. So he's trying to help the little guy out and not the rich getting richer. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> the two percenters or is it the the 98 percenters? Are you here to uh, start a new life or to speculate? Speculate. Okay, that'll be $4. Hey, hey, guy in front of me just paid a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's obviously not too, too popular here. Another thing that's not too popular is that he's using the Tribune to kind of look up some of the other people, his constituents. um, issues and stuff like that. And it's interesting because um, he's going to piss off a lot of his constituents with this by going into their personal affairs a little bit and be like, oh, well, this guy, look how many votes this guy misses. What's going on with that? Not so much his constituents, because that's the people that he's representing. But well, he pisses his, off his everybody. Fellow, his fellow uh, congressmen. Correct. That uh, he puts a spotlight on them and then writes about them in his paper. And that doesn't go real well either. For He's not making too many friends. There's really... Only one guy that he really is still kind of chummy with. Well, we and it's going to be a good name. It's a great reveal here in a second. But um, another thing that he's doing, too, is he's talking about oh, there's too many legislative privileges here. You know, they just fly around on private jets all over the place. That kind of that's what he's talking about. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, well, he became, private trains, maybe instead of private jets. But exactly. It's the same thing. But he's acknowledging that uh, some of these people, their expenses are, are way bigger than what the actual thing should be. This is ridiculous. You're just keeping the money. These people are robbing you. So he's almost like having a loose cannon Twitter kind of a thing. 
that uh, people are like, well, you can't be talking about what we do behind the curtain here. Listen, come on, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of his quotes to a friend was by the time that he'd become such a hated man in the chambers of Congress that he told a friend, one party wants to kill me and the other would be upset if they weren't involved. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty they good didn't quote. Have part of that rope. Hey, hey yeah. they would fight over who got the right to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Our boy's making a name for himself again, though, Dad. He'll yep. achieve much notoriety, but not much policy. Uh, one major accomplishment, though, uh, th th this becomes huge here, and I think this leads into what you kind of alluded to earlier. Um, he's going to become friends with this one particular guy. Um, he's a lawyer from Illinois, and this lawyer from Illinois had gotten into politics, and he was an interesting guy. I mean, he was a tall, lanky dude. Uh, Maybe he had the beard then. I don't know. No, I didn't have the beard then. Only only Horace had the neck beard. He was a clean-shaven guy. And, and he was a nice guy, too, because Horace's neck beard didn't upset him enough where he didn't want to become friends with him. And that's why Horace gets to say that he became friends with a young. Abraham Lincoln. You know it. Yeah, old Abe Lincoln. He didn't have the neck beard. He didn't have any beard until he was uh, actually already uh, president. That uh, He grew the beard out after he became president. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> well, uh, Greeley will leave politics because he realized he goes, all right, well, I wasn't great there. I'm not able to sway policy, but you know what I can do? I can't sway public opinion. Returns full time to the paper where he was adept and successful at swaying the aforementioned public opinion. So pretty good stuff there. The Tribune continued to be highly influential in nationwide politics. Horace's editorial soon became so wide read and powerful, they were often nicknamed the Gospel of St. Horace. <laughs> yeah, that's where that whole thing I was before, that uh, oftentimes the only reading material that people would have out west was the Bible and the New York Tribune that was being uh, editorialized by old Horace Greeley. So, yeah, the, the, the Gospel of St. Horace was was big. I mean, he was big. <laughs> I don't know what's, how else to put it. <laughs> He's big time. I think even people were referring to him as Uncle Horace at that point because that's how much of an impact he could have on your everyday life. Almost like a Walter Cronkite, people thought that he was like a member of their family because it's the guy that gave you the news every night. Right. You know? um, now, the Whigs, he's got the number one political machine for the media and information and public opinion for the Whig Party. But what's going on with the Whig Party around this time frame, Dad? Yeah, they're, uh, they're a little uh – Divisions, there's cracks in the foundation on the on the Whigs, too, because, again, this overriding blight that's over, you know, over the entire country is the issue of slavery. And we it wasn't just in the 1840s or the 1850s that we were arguing with amongst ourselves about the issue of slavery. That goes way back right from the right from the get go, right from the start of this country. But um Slavery is is the key most issue. Um, you know, there are historians will say that the whole Civil War was fought over states' rights and all that stuff. To me personally, it's slavery. That's the the biggest issue that is dividing the nation. Interesting, you should say that because uh, leads us right into our next topic here. The Whigs are having a hard time figuring out where they're heading politically. They're not winning very many elections either. You want to figure out how to dissolve as a political party? Just stop winning, and it goes away. All right. Um, the issue of slavery, once again, is providing uh, just absolute division in the country, as well it should. Um, a new party would begin to be coming around at this time. This party is mostly abolitionists who are going to hold many of the popular views of the old Whig party that Horace used to believe in steadfastly. They're also going to have some kind of cool meetings. They got some new progressive ideas here. 
and uh, they're going to have a couple meetings and conventions to work things out. All they need is a cool new name for this party. And wouldn't you know it, Horace Greeley is often credited with giving the name Republican Party to the Republican Party. So the GOP, as it stands today, is possibly named by Horace Greeley. Horace, Horace Greeley. He's the guy that coined the, the, coined the term. But, but yeah. politics, remember, it's the same the entire time, Dad. There's no way that a vegetarian, women's suffragette, <laughs> abolitionist from New York in the liberal media could ever <laughs> coin the party name for the Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> It's always in flux, man. That's why they call it political science. You have to keep testing theories, all right? But uh, in this party, some of his longtime friends, a few friends like Seward that Horace had unfortunately had a falling out with, and of course, that tall, lanky drink of water from Illinois, the certain lawyer named Abe Lincoln, is going to lead us up to 1860, Dad. I, I would say this. Do you think, would you agree with my hypothesis on this, that 1860 is the most important year in American history ever? Yeah, I think that was a, a complete, a complete uh, change. That uh, that's where everything came to a to a head. That you had so many different um, people trying to run for political office uh, due to the failures of other policies in the past, and now it's it's coming to a it's coming to a, a boil that something's got to give here. And 1860 was the year that. Um, it wasn't just Lincoln versus somebody else. It was there were so many people involved with that and so many divisions were created in what was um, somebody's foundations, whether it's the Whigs, whether it's this new formed political party called the Republicans or whether it's uh, the Democrats or whatever, whatever the case might be that uh, this is 1860 is, is big. Well, it's 1860. It's the most important presidential election, I would say, in the history of America. That uh, lanky lawyer from that brand new party, yeah, he's now going to become the president of the United States. And although the Republicans had plenty of stuff going, when you show up as an abolitionist, that, that essentially Lincoln being elected is what started. They're like, all right, the South is like, we're out. We're out. We know where this is going. We're right. going to leave. We're leaving the party before you can kick us out. That kind of a thing. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't fire me. I quit. Kind I've been, of that's right. I've been thrown out of better places <laughs> than this. <laughs> well, that's I'm leaving beginning. on my own accord. <laughs> <laughs> I've chosen to exit through this window, sir. <laughs> but uh, they got plenty of infighting going on already. And then also there's that crazy thing a lot of people don't want to talk about where New York City was pretty favorable towards the South. All right. Yeah. They were pretty favorable of it. And there's some infighting going on in New York City between two former Whigs in Seward and Greeley. All right. They're at odds with each other in New York. The idea being, though, the union must be preserved and the issue of slavery is going to have to be settled. That's going to lead you to this whole civil war. They're absolutely one and the same. So when you say states' rights, it's a huge, huge thing. Absolutely true. Um, the states' rights at the time was slavery. Should people own people? Oh, no. Okay. Boom. That's it. I solved that one. Yeah. It's pretty easy, right? Now, the rest of the stuff for states' rights, you want to talk about that? It's a separate conversation. Horace and the Tribune originally felt that the South could and maybe even should secede and be well within their rights to do so. It was certainly preferable to a possible war between the states. Yeah, and I think that goes back to his uh, pacifist kind of an attitude that, you know. Oh, he never met an ism he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, he was full of isms. But, uh, um, you know, is it worth killing somebody else over um, freeing somebody else? That, that, I think, is really what 
came to his undoing and then eventually came around to the whole idea of, yeah, we have to preserve the union. But initially, you're right. Initially, old Horace Greeley was like, well, they want to leave. See ya. Uh, because he we're called not going to. the cotton states. The cotton yeah. states. Maybe they can do something we didn't know about. Yeah. Let's see what they got. Um, but again, certainly preferable to going to war with your neighbors. That's kind of a big thing here. But that will change drastically as the South becomes more and more of a threat. Horace used the paper, the Tribune, to stir up anti-Confederacy feelings and also criticize Lincoln, his one-time friend, uh, for not doing enough to stop it. With the Tribune essentially demanding the invasion of Richmond, the Confederate capital, Lincoln succumbed to pressure. A great, like a huge amount of this pressure is coming from Horace and the New York Tribune. Uh, and he goes, oh, I got to do something here. I'm going to lose the people before I even get a chance to fight this war. Sends a half-trained army down to Bull Run, Manassas, if you nasty, where they are soundly defeated by the Confederacy. Uh, by the way, they'll they'll try a sequel. And it doesn't go good for them there either. Too. No, no, no. That's twice at Bull yeah. Run slash Manassas that right. the, the Union Hard does not. Do. <laughs> yeah, electric boogaloo. <laughs> but they're soundly defeated. And by the way, Horace, because of this, he's thinking that he's helping the war machine. He's thinking, this is how we do it. We just got to get down there and handle this stuff. We can get back to living our life. Two weeks to flatten the curb. That's what he's thinking in his head, right? He doesn't <laughs> think there's going to be a longstanding thing here. Yeah. And Well, everybody, I mean, he wasn't alone in that opinion. And initially, they, no, most people they thought think. this was going to be a, a three-month uh, deal at most. That uh, People sat with picnic lunches to watch the Battle of Bull Run, the first one, because right. they were like, oh, you want to see the war? It's yeah. happening today. Oh, it'll be, it'll be great. They're going to have cannons and all kinds of cool stuff. Well, uh, post-breakdown, Horace is actually going to realize that he can assist the union efforts better and his hopes of emancipation uh, for the country can be done through his paper. So if he just kind of rallies and sings the old song, if you will, maybe there's a chance that he can do some good here still. The Tribune will cover the war with a favorable outlook of Lincoln. They even offer that to Lincoln. And Lincoln goes, oh, absolutely. I need all the help I can get right. here, folks. You want, you're going to give me fa uh, favorable coverage? What do you want to know? That kind of a thing. Uh to his old frenemy, if you will. Uh, Seward, by the way, gets a, a, he even gets favorable coverage, which is kind of uh, um, magnanimous, if you will, of uh, good old Horace Greeley that he says, I don't like you. You're a pain in my ass, but right now we got to work together to get this bigger picture thing. I want emancipation. I feel like this is the way towards that. So a uh, famous, famous exchange via a letter from the two men, Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln and Horace Greeley, um, where Horace is almost being admonished by the president for his demand that the war end slavery. So um, essentially, uh, Lincoln's war was for the Union. Greeley's was going to be for emancipation. And in the letter, Lincoln himself is quoted as telling Horace, Horace, listen, if I could preserve the Union without freeing a single slave, I would. And if I could preserve the Union by freeing every single slave, I would. I got a goal here right now. It's I can't lose the country I just got elected to lead. Okay. Right, so I'm right. gonna do, I can't really worry about your stuff right now. I just got to have the bigger picture here right. of, again, it's one of those things, uh, the bathtub's overflowing. Uh, well, I got to shut the water. Well, what are we going to do about this stuff? Over no, no, no. We're going to shut the water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln first and foremost was to preserve the union. Uh, and if um, – the abolitionists and the freeing of the slaves is the outcome of that. Uh, so be it. But first and foremost is is the union. Um, and Horace Greeley and, and Lincoln were in communication, as you said, Kev, 
a lot, I mean, all the time. But Lincoln also realized that Horace Greeley is controlling public opinion. So he, he wasn't- Cronkite, I've lost the nation. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. That guy went right back to Nixon uh, with the Vietnam War that, uh, um, that you know, uh, being befriended by Horace Greeley is, I think Lincoln had a, a famous quote about that's worth 100,000 men in the field kind of a thing. And if you can, Ooh, if you can keep- yeah, if you can keep uh, public opinion on the, on the side of what we're doing here, that's so much the better than uh, more troops in the field type of thing. So, Dad, you're saying that Horace Greeley's worth a certain amount of men in the field, but you still need to have men in the field, right? Yeah. And if you have a standing army and you need to bolster those forces, because now you have a standing army that's coming in, there's Federalists to impose their will on people who are living, you're going to, essentially, you're an invading force. Okay, that's what people always, they want to just demonize the Confederacy, and there's plenty of stuff to demonize, don't get me wrong. But if you and me grew up in Georgia, and all of a sudden the feds are coming in, and you don't know what they're going to do, they're here to, I heard they're here to rape the women and children. I hear they're here to kill my parents. Right. Uh, what am I going to do? Well, me and the local guys, we're going to do something about it. You know, that it's so easy to see how people get manipulated into things, uh, how things, the, the push and the pull of it. Horace's support for the union means that uh, he's also supporting an extremely unpopular thing known as the draft. Because now you've got Irish immigrants coming off. And by the way, oh, that's another great thing, too. You want to talk about throughout history when they use the immigration with the immigrants from Ireland. They're just they're animals and they're coming off the boat here and they're just signing up to join the military. They're going to send people that aren't even Americans down here to ruin your life and ruin what your family created and everything you built. It's not hard to see that the Confederacy is having a, a pretty large amount. There's a groundswell of support for them from the local people. And now you have to have a draft in order to get this federal army. Again, they're calling them federals down south. The Union Army, as we would call them in the history books, um, is going to go ahead and be formed uh, largely by force. This is conscription. That, right. That's what that's called. It's, it's not the volunteer army that we have today or the volunteer military that we have today. Um, people are conscripted. It's either pays your money to get out of it or you're going to be drafted into it. Side note, um, and I can say this because uh, it was a guy that I absolutely hated more than any person I've ever hated in my life in high school. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about too. Right. He's dead now. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, he had a quote where he just goes during the Iraq war, he goes, I can't believe it, man. I can't believe that these kids, these poor kids um, that joined the military, now they're getting forced to go overseas. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a volunteer army, dude. Yeah, All right. And he goes, yeah, these kids just joined for college though. Whoa, if you just thought you were free college right. and I never, yeah. oh, what do you mean? You guys are going to, uh, you can't welch on the bet, dude. You know, you got to accept it. But um, anyway, the kahuna is in the building now, guys. He's not, hey. He does not have a mic. Say hi, buddy. What's going on, people? I know <laughs> I'm not in this one today, but uh, uh, KP Burke is still one ugly looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> God, it just comes in and dunks on me for no wow. reason. No, nah, nothing. Uh, y'all in for a treat. I don't even know what they're talking about today, but I can't wait to listen like y'all. Well, it's in two I'm parts. in your boat. Correct. Uh, this is wild. Wait, wait. I'm in the audience's chair. This is great. Is he, is, is he a Patreon listener? Hang on, he's not. Um, Kuna, do you have five? I'm the first Patreon listener, motherfucker. Do you have five dollars, though? <laughs> we can just end this recording right now. <laughs> That's it. Well, yeah. uh, I'll say this, though. Uh, so Greeley winds up supporting uh, the unfortunate draft, which is going to be forcing a lot of these people who didn't care about the war to now have to care about the war because their sons, maybe themselves are going away. You're about to lose your husband. So 
What's going to happen, Ed? There's the New York City draft riots. Yeah, and that's, uh, that was uh, an ugly chapter in New York history for sure and the country's history. But a lot of these uh, uh, immigrants, predominantly Irish immigrants, were now being forced into by conscription into the, into the uh, service. I just left the crown, okay? There right. was a crown telling me that he was born divine and got to tell me what to do. And uh, now I'm over here where I'm in freedom. And they're like, oh, no, you got to go fight this war against people you go never Go fight for before. Mr. Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the time, the time too, was in July. And back home in Ireland, uh, on the 12th of July, was the Orangemen's uh, Parade where a lot of the Catholics were um, put down. Uh, with the Orange Order, and now here they are in the, on the shores of America, and now that, now that you're telling me I have to go to war for something I have no idea with, and you know, and the country is not in love with uh, Irish Catholic immigrants either. First, you're, you're if you ask me for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean there is the, there is that argument too, but. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, yeah, there's a there's a New York City draft riots that took place. Draft riots will take place. The Tribune, by the way, is a building that's going to be invaded by the mob because of its open support for the draft. So uh, at one point, uh, the building is invaded for sure. Horace's family is threatened, although they are unharmed. And uh, Horace is actually forced to use 150 armed men uh, in order to uh, keep his building from being burnt to the ground. So you want to have a hundred. Yeah. By the way, that that's a good reason to have a gun. You know what? Um, I'm all, I'm never going to use it against you guys, but if you try to burn my building down, I'm, maybe I'll come out with a gun. It's a, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty wild here, man. Greeley will run hot and cold with Lincoln as Abe will face reelection. Okay. Now, once the union had taken Atlanta, though, Greeley was all aboard the Lincoln train. He goes, hey. The, the war is about to end. We're going to have a new country again. Emancipation is coming. Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once Atlanta was captured, uh, it was looking like uh, that was the the end. Uh, you know, we were on the downside of uh, the Civil War, and the South was not going to be able to come back from that. Hey, folks, it's the Big Kahuna. So, um, some construction noise started up after this uh, was uh, last recorded. So, we're actually going to pick this episode up. Uh, next week so be on the lookout for part two uh, and as always thank you so much for listening to this episode of American Loser yeah you like that edit that I did there it's great right an American loser the day I was born an American loser the day I was born an American loser the day I was born Born.